Welcome to the Rest and Recovery Podcast, where we look to educate, equip, and empower the listener with effective tips and tools to live this one life well through effective rest and recovery. In this episode, we have Jeff Kahn. He is the co-founder of Rise Science. Uh, Along with his co-founder, Leon, they produced uh, tons of research on technology-enabled sleep behavior modifications over a decade ago and have recently completed one of the largest studies on sleep and real-world job performance across both the sports performance in the NFL as well as the effects on sales teams and productivity and results, which are key aspects in the business and sports world. But we also cover things on the life, on showing up uh, our best self for the things that matter, whether it is our career or our family, being engaged with our kids, and just being present and we dig into a number of the key aspects and many of which are within our control within our influence to get the return on investment i should say on our sleep and really sleep is the greatest roi in which uh, jeff really speaks to on doing all the things that we want to do so please listen share and uh rate and review would appreciate it so with me today is jeff khan co-founder and ceo of rise science jeff welcome to the restroom recovery podcast scott it's it's really a pleasure to be here thanks for having me yeah um looking forward to digging into what you guys are doing uh there's a lot out there with technology and wearables and the data sets and as we're kind of talking offline um, there's a lot of not confusion, but there's overwhelm, I think in yeah, rise of information. Um, and you can kind of dig into that in pretty much any domain nowadays, but, uh, first kind of, how did you get into sleep science? What's kind of the backstory for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it started, uh, from really kind of humble beginnings, I guess you could say I, I uh, was an engineer in undergrad and, you know, up late. Uh, at night working on problem sets with one of my best friends and we'd get up early in the morning to get to class and we just felt like crap the whole day (laughs) and we were trying to drug ourselves with caffeine and you know trying different exercise routines and you know everything that we could find and we had a hunch that maybe how we felt had to do with sleep and so we started to dedicate some of our academic time to studying sleep science really to try and figure out what do we need to do so that we feel better during the day? Like, do I need to focus on thermoregulation, on tracking sleep, on HRV, on sleep quality, on sleep quantity? Do I need to get a new mattress? Do I need to take supplement? Like, what is it that we need to do? Right. And honestly, it just, after a couple of years of that, I, there were just so many questions about how all the science came together that we ended up begging our school sleep science department to take us in as apprentices. And so that's really when it started and, and we started to kind of get a, a much deeper understanding of, of the science and I'm just fortunate enough to, to get to study with some of the top people in, in the field. And so from there, went on to publish uh, my first paper that was all on how do you take all the sleep tracking data from at the time, this is 2011. Um, so like Fitbit was just coming out and they had a wrist strap and there was uh, Misfit and Zio, I think was maybe just going either out of business, but they were pretty interesting. Uh, So anyway, all these trackers were just starting to come on the market. Right. And what we wanted to figure out was, well, what do you do with all that data? How do you make it useful for people that want to actually just feel better? Right. And how do you improve someone's long-term sleep behavior in a way that's going to lead to better clinical outcomes? So we ended up publishing that paper and found some really interesting findings there. Um, and that basically led to <laughs> how this turned into a business where our school's football team asked us if we could apply those uh, findings and those re- that research to, to Northwestern's football team because their players weren't getting enough sleep. And so one yeah. thing led to another. And then we started to have customers, you know, all over professional sports. And uh, that was the first version of the business. And since 2018, we've really been focused on how do we apply those findings that we've learned from some of the best athletes and some of the best sports science teams in the world? Uh, but how do we do that in a way that everyone can take advantage of? That you know, uh, the the three billion of us that have an Android or iOS phone can start to use in in very actionable and scientifically rigorous ways. 
but in, in, some, in a way that you don't need to be a quantified self nerd or uh, listening to this podcast to be able to get it immediately. So that's right. been the challenge and that's the mission we're on. And uh, just super, super grateful to be, to be on it. Yeah. I, you know, I appreciate you guys doing that and getting on that because I mean, personally, that's kind of how even I started, but the actionable piece I think is the critical piece, right? You can, you can overwhelm with data. You can, it, it's great to read. Okay. Now what, what, you know, what's in it for me kind of yeah. idea. Totally. And you know, when I think about actionability, the real question is it, it kind of getting back to a scientific one, which is if I do X, what is going to be the outcome? What, what's in it for me? Right. And so that was the question that back 10 years ago, I was trying to figure out, like, if I try to improve my quote unquote sleep quality, is that going to make me feel better during the day? You know, if it is, then sure, I'll invest. But, but if it's not sure, then I, I don't know. Yeah. And so I think that's the part today that is actually pretty well understood in the sleep science literature, but gets really confused as it comes out of that. And I, and I don't know why I don't have a good answer for you there. And I've thought a lot about it. I have some ideas about why, but, uh, but it, it ends up getting confused. And so, I mean, even on this show, you've had some, some uh, you know, excellent practitioners and folks in, on sleep. And when I'm going through those show notes, like there's just multiple things where it's like, well, really? Like what evidence set do you have to, to back up what you just said? <laughs> uh, so we can get into that later on the show. But, um, but, but that's, that's sort of, I think, the question. And so um, we've really tried to focus on, yeah, what, what do you need to do so that you feel better? And none of us actually want more sleep. We all just want to feel better. Right. And so how do we do that? And that's kind of what, what the scientists uh, over, you know, last almost hundred years have figured out uh, and, and is something called the two-factor model of sleep and wake regulation. And, and we can definitely get into that and talk about it and hopefully yeah. leave everyone that's listening with something that they can take away today and start applying to their life. Yeah. And that's the, that's the goal. So what, what is it when we pull on that thread with the two-factor? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, the the two factor model, it, you know, it's been around for at this point. I mean, it came out in the early '80s, so what, almost uh, you know, forty something years. So it's an old theory. Um, it's been reaffirmed, you know, just a couple of years ago. It's still kind of a dominant theory, and most sleep scientists you talk to will overall agree with the direction of the theory. And it's sort of like the way I think about it is almost like the laws of physics, but for sleep. And specifically how sleep relates to how alert and awake you will feel during the day. And so what the research has proven out is basically there are two factors. That's why it's called the two-factor model that affect how you're going to feel. And so in, in terms of the factors, like getting back to actionability, like these are the two areas where if you action and if you move, you will get the benefit. And if you don't move in these two areas, you won't get the benefit. And if you put your effort into areas outside of these two, you shouldn't really expect much benefit either. So these are really sort of the two central ideas. The first is something called uh, sleep debt. It's a measure of how sleep deprived you are. The, the technical term in, this, in the literature base is something called the sleep homeostat or the, the homeostatic process. Uh, but the way, to, the, the way to think about sleep debt, and maybe you've heard this term, is really it's a measure of how sleep deprived you are any given day. Okay. And the way that this works is we each have a genetic amount of sleep that we need. Uh, the average is slightly over eight hours, depending on the study, you know, around eight hours, 15 minutes with a 35 minute standard deviation. So what does that mean? You know, most of us need somewhere between seven and a half and, you know, nine hours. Okay. Somewhere in that range is pretty normal. Now, by the way, you might need a little more than that. And that's also totally normal. Nothing wrong with you. You might also need less than that. And you're a short, genetically uh, short sleeper. Also, nothing wrong with you. Um, and so everyone has this gene genetic need, just like our eye color, just like our hair color, just like our height. And when you don't get that need, you build up debt. It builds up over, depending on the research, somewhere between 14 to 30 days. Our research shows that it's really more the last 14 days that matter. Uh, but there's you know published research that shows that you can even accumulate it as long as 30 days, even more uh, in some cases. And so when you think about how much sleep deprivation you have today, it's not just last night. It's not just the night before. It's not just the night before. It's not just the night before the hat. It's really the last 14 days or depending on how serious, maybe even longer. Um, and so that's, that's sort of the first factor. If there's one number that matters most, if there's one thing you should be keeping track of with your sleep, this is it. 
So, and so, it's just, it, I'll stop there. No, well, I was going to say, so you're saying it's genetic. How do I know yep. about my genetic disposition to kind of have an understanding of what my, for lack of a better term, baseline need? What your need is. Yeah. So, I mean, the best way is have a cool, dark, and quiet sleep environment. Get out of the way of in terms of natural sleep. So don't, you know, take supplements. Don't eat a massive meal. We can talk about that later, but sure. get out of the way. Excuse me. Uh, and you want to get as much sleep as you possibly can. And basically what will happen is usually night, night the first couple nights, you'll get a lot more sleep than your need. You're making up the sleep debt. And as that carries forward, so let's say you're now in day six, seven, eight, nine, you're going to start to level off. Okay. And you will wake up, your body will wake you up naturally, presuming you have a good sleep environment, which we can talk about later. And once you level off, that's basically where your need is. Now, most of us don't have the discipline nor the schedule nor the sort of freedom to go do that. Right. In our app, we actually have an algorithm that predicts that, that, that that's based on some good science, but, uh, but that's how you can do it, you know, on your own today uh, to figure out what your, what your sleep need is. Yeah. And clearly like kind of alluding to. And so the, the research that talks about sleep need is it is that if you were to get, you know, a group of people uh, from the population and you had them do this, everyone would have different, uh, you know, time or different amounts of time where their sleep would level off. So that's sort of where we see this, um, you know, difference in, 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 in sleep need. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I was, so like you kind of allude to this as well as like, so there is a, an element of like sleep hygiene as it's been called of setting up the environment to kind of give yourself the optimal performance, so to speak in sleep. Yeah. So, you know, so sort of to finish off the two factor model, we've got sleep debt. That's factor one. Factor two is something called the circadian rhythm. And you actually have a clock in your head. It tells every cell in the body when to be active and alert, when not to be. And so as a result of that, uh, you actually have these five distinct zones to be aware of that we each have, but the times at which these events occur are all different. And so that's sort of the second factor that makes sense to be aware of. Um, And those two together, how much sleep that you have and sort of where you are within your circadian rhythm are the things that matter and the things that we should all be caring about. And those are the actionable items. And if you rearrange your day based on your circadian rhythm, you get your sleep debt down, that's how you're actually going to get the bulk of the impact of better sleep. Okay. Um, And then the third part that you bring up is, okay, well, what's all this noise around sleep hygiene? And this isn't part of the two-factor model. We can, I think it's actually helpful to think about it as it relates to the two-factor model. But the whole idea with sleep hygiene is let's remove things that are getting in the way of natural sleep. And Matt Walker, if you've read his book, Why We Sleep, I'd, I'd recommend it yeah. overall. Just a great book that brings a lot of different evidence sets together. And he talks about this term called naturalistic sleep, and I just love it. But it's this idea that sleep has evolved for millions of years in every living thing. And we need to get out of the way of our own sleep, not try to hack it or hack with it or meddle with it or change it. But what's happening in the brain is already so complex and so uh, evolved that what we need to do is just give ourselves uh, a naturalistic sleep environment. And so there's a lot that can be that you can do around that. Um, cool, dark, and quiet is a big part of it, but it also affects how you wind down, what your light exposure is before bed and when you wake up. But the the simple idea is, you know, what was sleep like uh, in the in the millions of years that it developed, and in general, doing things that are contra that. While we don't know exactly how they affect things, um, it, it, depending on what it is, we do know that it's changing your what's happening during sleep at night. And so that's where it's like, well, let's try to not mess with it and uh, let let things happen more naturally. But yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, the hygiene to me is kind of just managing those externals that are kind of out of your control. Uh, And I guess managing the ones that are in your control as much as possible. Like, you know, for me, it started out with kids disrupting sleep. Uh, I don't know if you can relate or not, but um, I've got almost one, almost two year old daughter. And oh, okay. so she has, uh, she thankfully is an amazing sleeper, um, after some, you know, 
disciplined by my wife and <laughs> some good luck and a little bit of sleep science thrown in. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- those first, I mean, you just can't control it. If she's up in the middle of the night, she's up in the middle of the night, you know, right. like that's an external factor that, you know, it's hard to control. Yeah. So back to the, the circadian rhythm. Um, so there's circadian rhythm. Now there's chronotypes. Is that kind of circling back Correct. to kind of like our genetic, kind of the first part in our genetic disposition? Yes. So this, so we all have this clock, right? And so the way to think about this is, yeah, there's something called chronotypes, or if you haven't heard that term before, um, you know, probably everyone listening to this has heard of like, oh, you're a morning person or, oh, you're a night owl or, oh, you're, you know, people talk about it uh, sort of colloquially. And what we know scientifically is there's a large genetic component to how early or late your circadian rhythm is biased. Now, let me just explain what that means a little bit more simply. There's a way to measure this biologically, this rhythm, and it's called a phase marker. And what we're looking for, and there are many of these, but one of the most common ones is, um, and I think you'll find this really kind of uh, simple and delightful in many ways, but at least I do. But under dim light, depending on if you're how early or late you are, if you're under really dim light, uh, imagine camping as an example of dim light. So there might be moonlight and maybe there's fire, but again, dim light. Mm-hmm. At what time does your brain release melatonin naturally? And so the way they do this in a lab setting is they actually give people these, sal- uh, the, these basically spit tubes and you spit in this tube, you know, multiple times and they actually will then take it back to the lab and we'll say, okay, we had you spit it. Eight o'clock, there's no, no melatonin yet in your saliva. Oh, and then at 8.30, oh, at 8.30, we saw a little melatonin in your saliva. That tells us that under dim light at 8.30, you were actually producing melatonin. That's called your dim light melatonin onset. Okay. And, and the moment that you start producing melatonin, that's called, the, in, in the scientific world, they call it DLMO, dim light melatonin onset. And that's one phase marker of how to know how early or late you are. And so um, I would call out one, you know, genetics are a big component of that, whether or not that's being released at 8.30 or some people it can be released eight hours later, you know, almost four or five in the morning. And, you know, it's rare, but it, it, it absolutely happens. And there's nothing inherently wrong with you per se. It's just a biological uh, difference. Okay. So there, there's a genetic component. Um, there's also an age component that plays a big role. So age 20 is the latest you'll ever be. And if you can remember back to being, you know, 20 years old, um, you know, you're, you're up late, you're, you're going to bed at one, two, 3am and that felt normal and you're up at 10, 11. Um, and so that's actually also biological. And every year after age 20, you get slightly earlier, uh, over time okay. there also, so whether, um, if you, uh, Men on average tend to be also an hour later than women. So that's sort of another interesting finding. Um, and the, uh, and the other big factor. So those are the things that are sort of out of your control, but the pieces that are in your control when it comes to how late or early you are that you can change is, um, when you get lighting. And so when you get lighting can definitely change this rhythm. And that's how, when we travel from East coast to West coast or West coast to East coast, or we travel overseas somewhere to, with a different time zone. It's actually the change in lighting um, of that time zone that then resyncs your, your biological clock to that new time zone. Okay. And it can take a while to do, you can change your, that, that dim light melatonin onset about an hour a day. But the idea is that it's, that's, what's actually changing it. We have control over lighting. Um, for the most part, sure. right. If we have a bunch of light in our room in the, in the morning or not. Um, so that's, that's sort of what's going on there. Okay. Yeah. Like kind of the type of bulbs I've understood can influence that too. Um, and personal anecdote, my wife is an interior designer and so I, she loves lamp okay. light. She's, she loves lamp light. And so she's always putting it on and I'm like, I can't yeah. see, but now your science is affirming she's got yeah. the right design aesthetic. So, uh, I'll be sure to let her know. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so what you can, the, the, um, if you've heard about orange glasses and we can get, send you the show notes, orange glasses will actually block out blue spectrum light. And it turns out if you, if you get light at night around your dim light melatonin onset, 
it'll actually delay when your brain is normally supposed to release it. It'll delay and suppress the amount of melatonin it releases because your brain, again, this is sort of naturalistic sleep. Your brain is expecting it to be dim outside, expecting it to be really dark. Right. And somehow, you know, the last hundred years, we've now introduced electric lighting. And so we've now are able to bring a ton of light into a time where there usually wasn't a lot of light. And so because of that, um, you know, there's all sorts of negative downstream effects of not having melatonin. But I would say if, if you're just like, you feel like you're sleeping pretty well and you're looking for one area to control and improve, you know, that's one thing that we can all do. There's these orange glasses that, that block out blue light and we'll send you a link to them. Um, and really good peer-reviewed evidence behind their efficacy. And you get a lot more melatonin release and again, a lot more naturalistic sleep. Um, now, are you going to like somehow perform all, way better the next day? That, I don't know, the, the research is out on that. Yeah. Um, but the research is not out on, you get, you get your natural melatonin release. And that is, you know, in general, we believe that doing things that are, um, you know, getting back to your body's natural state with respect to sleep, I think is going to be beneficial over the long run. And so, and so on that, it's not just the sleep element, but it's, it's also kind of what you were saying when you wake up and you go to do your day right? Your activities, there's yep. optimal times to do, uh, I just read the book, but deep work, right? Where you can really get zero yep. focused. Is that right? Yep. So hundred percent. So you have five zones. I'll just walk you through quickly each of them. Again, this is as a result of your circadian rhythm. So your sleep debt has very little to do with your circadian rhythm. They're really independent, okay. but if we just look at those zones, mm-hmm. you actually have, when you wake up something called sleep inertia, And for about 90 minutes, you're going to be groggy. You're going to not feel very good. You're not going to feel your best self. So contrary to what you've seen, you know, on mattress advertisements and online advertisements of of that sort, like when you wake up, you will feel groggy. That's just how (laughs) the brain works. That's natural. Yeah. To be expected. So, So don't judge yourself right when you wake up, take an assessment about 90 minutes later. Okay. So that's sort of the grogginess zone. The best ways to think about beating that. Um, one, you can drink coffee. Coffee actually blocks the, uh, a chemical called adenosine, which is responsible for that grogginess feeling. The other is just get outside and get sunlight. Even if it's, you know, uh, overcast outside, it's usually about 10 times brighter than what it would be indoors. So getting natural sunlight first thing also has a massive impact. And it's the, you know, as you'd expect, again, naturalistic sleep, if you've ever been camping, as soon as the sun comes up at 545, you're like wide awake, you know, even if you only had a couple hours of sleep. So Um, the, the, the sun will make you feel really good. Uh, and not only that, but it'll help, um, tell your circadian rhythm that it's a new day. And then as a result of that, you'll actually get a, you'll have a stronger, uh, melatonin release that night. So that'll help with sleep and all sorts of things. So, um, it can be really important for circadian regularity, not just to go to bed and wake up at the same time. What actually matters isn't the sleep as much. It's actually the, when you get the sunlight, uh, so getting sunlight, um, in the morning is, is really a, a critical part of circadian health. I, I had heard that detail before that, you know, natural sunlight is important first thing in the morning, but I hadn't heard that point on the why and how it can impact the evening and the interdependency of the two or the relationship. The piece on natural sunlight uh, didn't realize the, the connection between not just your wake up, but also how you might feel on the back end in the evenings. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And again, this comes back to circadian rhythm and almost all of these sleep hygiene elements can really be linked back to how is it affecting your circadian rhythm? How is it affecting your sleep debt? And that's sort of the way to think about it. And so, um, you know, anything that you're going to go do with your sleep or you're going to change with your sleep hygiene, the question to ask is, is it going to have an effect on my circadian rhythm? Is it going to have an effect on my sleep debt? And if it does, then it's likely to produce, you know, life-changing outcomes for me. And I think that this is starting to get more known and certainly on this podcast, but, you know, sleep is still, while it's being talked about now more than it ever has been, it's still so underutilized. I mean, getting your sleep need every night, keeping your sleep debt low, optimizing your day based on your circadian rhythm. I mean, that's the, 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 in all of our uh, grasp collectively, and it will have the biggest impact on how you feel, how you function, how long you're going to live, 
all the things that we all care about yeah. come back to, are we sleeping well? Now, it's not the only thing that matters, but it's the place to start. And yeah. uh, I think that's just an important part of this. Yeah, 100%. I was agree with you there. I mean, um, it's foundational, right? And it, and it's an interdependency or the, the launch pad to all the other things that you can talk about when it's like nutrition or fitness or and fill in the blank that, you know, it really keeps rolling back to um, how well did you sleep? Um, and then <laughs> right, all the wearables exactly. from there can, can start, you know, tweaking the activities on, I guess you could say load, right? How, how much you exert yep. yourself too. Yep. Yep. And the, and the load feedback is interesting. I mean, we used to do a lot of work with professional athletes, the way to think about load. I mean, as an athlete, you want to be able to take on more load. You, you want to be able to stress your stress response system. And so when you actually, when, when we would do our analysis, what we found in our data was that, um, you know, we'd have these elite athletes that were training if they took a load of, let's just call it a, a thousand arbitrary unit load day, and let's say normally they're getting 500 load unit day, if their sleep debt was low, they were able to handle the extra load and do it super well. If their sleep debt was high, they were more likely to get injured. Their HRV would just absolutely plummet um, and you know they would not be in a good spot. And so it was almost like, you know, here we are tinkering with load and thinking about load and HRV and, and sleep as a fundamental input into that really does need to be considered, um, you know, more thoroughly. But it's like, that's really, you know, if you are training or you care about how you feel function during the day, you know, start with sleep. Um, and what it means to sleep well is, and I think this is a question if you ask most people, what does it mean to sleep well? They won't have a good answer for you. Yeah. The answer is, what's your sleep debt? And, and then what does your day look like according to your circadian rhythm? And if you've done those things, then you're quote unquote sleeping well. When you wake up in the morning and you think that you're restless or not, that doesn't really have that big of an impact. I mean, obviously, if you were awake during the middle of the night and you actually weren't sleeping, then your sleep debt's really high. But the right. reason that you're going to underperform isn't because you were tossing and turning. The reason you're going to underperform is because you built up sleep debt, and that's actually the piece that's causing the, the, the outcome. So then there's all sorts of ways to improve on the restlessness side uh, as well, but, but, but that's how to think about it. Okay. So you, you kind of started to touch on a point on like sleep and, you know, kind of why I started it was it felt like there wasn't a lot of conversation. And when I grew up culturally in the corporate world, uh, I came out of college at the tail end of the dot com where, you know, yeah. uh, and I'm sure you're in the space now. It's, you know, chips and Mountain Dews and Cokes until the cow comes home. Um, and, yeah. you know, it was like the water cooler talk of who stayed up later and woke up, you know, stayed up till two and woke up at five to go back at it. Do you think, you know, we're at the beginning of a cultural shift? where maybe we're getting away from that a little bit? Well, yeah, I, 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 you know, my view is that if you just look at where people are putting their dollar today compared to where people are, were putting their dollar 10 years ago, it's on things that are much, much healthier, uh, you know? And, and so I think that you, you're, you're right that there is a real change and real shift in, in terms of how people think about their energy, how they feel, and that what they eat, how they sleep, how they move um, are dominant inputs into you know, their, their life. And so even when you look at the younger generations today, just a lot of their focus and effort and energy is, is, is on, are on these areas. And I think it's really wise um, because these are the areas that science say will, will ultimately have long-term benefits. And there's no evidence that says that Mountain Dew and chips and all that will have benefit other than sort of short-term stimulus response and enjoyment. So, you know, I think that's really, really exciting. And um, when we look at, you know, some of the world's biggest problems, how are we going to solve climate change? How are we going to solve what it means to you know, be our best versions of ourselves. Right. I think the next frontier is how are we allocating time efficiently? 
and managing our time uh, and managing specifically managing our energy, you know, as people, what, where does it go into family? Where does it go into work? What part of it goes into work? You know, if you read deep work, like, yeah, how do you make sure it's not about necessarily just how long did you sit at your, you know, your chair every day. Right. But it's like, did you do good work that day? And were able to focus on what mattered. And I think that's a much different shift that's happening today than, than it ever has been. So, um, you know, I think as far as sleep is concerned in that shift, I still think relative to the evidence base, it's like, you know, a hundred X again, this is just sort of to, to be hyperbolic, but a hundred X different than what it should be. You know, the evidence base is so strong on sleep. That's where we should be spending a lot of our time, energy, and focus. And only then should you be starting to, you know, spend time outside of that once you feel like you have that really mastered and down. Um, so, and like you said, it's the foundation. And from a, an evidence basis, it, it absolutely is. So what, again, this is personal anecdotals, but why do you think there's this disparity between the evidence that's been out there for an extended period of time around sleep and the action taken at scale, at least in the U S from my view, um, around that and culturally, like we're kind of talking to is why was it so like anti any thought? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, well, I, I think, I think what you need to do is follow, um, the human behavior. And so if you follow the human behavior, you know, and you think about, you know, great businesses, I think probably the commonality with most great businesses and how the economic engine works uh, in a society like ours is that great businesses are really great at helping people do what they already want to do. And so when you look at, uh, when you look at it that way, most people actually don't want to sleep. What they want is more energy. They want to feel better. They want to be able to have better relationships. They want to feel, uh, you know, like they matter. And so, you know, some of the best and, and, and greatest businesses of our time have really helped people do that. Um, and so I think what, what's been missing, you know, if you look at just how, again, how people are spending their money, it, you know, it, this might seem a little bit crazy, but just in the U.S., we spend, you know, a couple hundred billion dollars a year on caffeinated beverages, <laughs> like literally drugging ourselves, right, to, to get that energy. And if you look at the mattress industry, they've gotten, you know, closer and closer to trying to, you know, market themselves as we're not just a piece of foam that you sleep on, but we're really about the outcomes that you're going to get from sleep, even though the uh, evidence base that mattress A versus mattress B is going to produce different outcomes doesn't exist in any strong way. And so I think, again, it's like, how do you, yeah, I mean, there's just no good evidence base there. Uh, So here we are spending all this money. And again, what's the, now, if you are with the mattress thing to go back, if you are like waking up so much in the middle of the night because your mattress is uncomfortable and like your back is hurting, right? because you're sleeping on, you know, uh, not a, not a mattress that's just not comfortable or not functioning, then yeah. Why are you not going to be performing well? Because you know, your sleep debt's high because you're not getting the sleep that you need. Right. But presuming you have a reasonable mattress, you know, within normal reason, you know, that is not, that investment is not going to affect your ultimate functioning. So, you know, you obviously got to do what's right for you, but the question is, is it going to affect your sleep debt? Is it going to affect your circadian rhythm? And if the answer is no, then you shouldn't expect it to have an effect on, you know, ultimately how you're going to function the next day. But I think that, that what's, ulti- what's happened is, you know, we've known about the two-factor model since 1983. You know, we've, sleep science has been around as a field since the early 1900s. And so I think what's happened is, um, you know, uh, as consumer technology has gotten better, and as now we have the ability to measure things passively and easier and people are starting to realize that, you know, spending all this money on mattresses, spending all this money on supplements, spending all this money on things that don't actually produce benefit isn't actually the best way to get what you want. I think people are willing to change that and they're putting their dollar to ultimately more effective solutions. And so I think that will change over time. But, you know, it's, I'd say consumer technology is, is still, I mean, when you look at um, the way to sort of impact human behavior at scale and you look at like Facebook Again, arguably, there's a lot of negative that comes from Facebook, but the amount of consumer behavior that Facebook has changed is just incredible. Or Instagram or TikTok. 
And so um, I think that's really the potential uh, leverage point is, can we use consumer technology to get people to be focused on the right things? And I think we've already seen some of that with Headspace and Calm and many others. Um, and so um, so hopefully, I, you know, again, I'm very optimistic that this will change and people will, will start focusing on the areas that really matter uh, with, you know, with their own lives. Yeah, I, that last part to me is what, you know, I appreciate the most. And, and I think, too, just um, especially over the last couple of years, but being able to do things well, like you, we all want to do all the things, but you can't necessarily do them all the time. But there is a way to get close to that, which is through sleep. Yep. Or I can show up yep. for my best self, for my wife, my three daughters, my employer even, Right. And, and for myself, ultimately. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's not, you know, look, sleep is not the only way to get there and it's, it's not the only thing that matters, but it is like the thing that if you get right, will pay off hugely in the long term, And if you don't get right is going to be holding you back. Like there is no way you can be functioning at your best. If you're, if you have high sleep debt, there is just no scientific way to do it. So I think what maybe also has confused people for a long time is, um, you know, this notion that I'll sleep when I'm dead, which is the idea that, wow, life is so short. You know, we only have such a limited time on this planet to be with our family and my kids and, and I got to do everything. And so the way to, to do everything is to sleep less. And, um, and ultimately that's the exact, the, the intuitions, right. I want to do the things that matter to me. And the fundamental preference for, you know, being engaged and present and getting the most out of life is absolutely the, the, the right way to think about it. Right. The instrument of getting less sleep is just the wrong way. Like that's the place where you start. And that allows you to then engage at a, at, in the fullest way possible. And so yeah. we've actually done some of the modeling where, you know, if you look at area under the curve, if you get less sleep, you have, you know, linearly more time, right? If I get eight hours of sleep, I have, or let's say instead of eight, I get seven and a half. So I have 30 minutes more time that day, but I'm significantly more effective at eight than seven and a half. And just to put this in perspective, let's say you go from eight to seven hours of sleep for a week. And then we were to measure your cognitive performance at the end of the week, you'd be performing as if you were at the legal limit for alcohol. So like (laughs) very significant change. So let's just play that out, you know, to make this very concrete. Yeah. You go from eight to seven, right? So you get an hour more in your day. And let's assume that you do that for a week. So you have seven hours more in your week. But for every hour that you're awake, your cognitive performance is is, is as if you're drunk. So now it's like, you tell me, what would you rather have? Being cognitively drunk for the seven hours that you're awake or having, you know, instead of seven hour, instead of, you know, the, doing the math, what 20, uh, instead of the, um, the, the 14 hours that you get with seven hours, um, wait, am I doing my math? Right. Uh, let's see here. 14 let's see here. Less, let's just 14 extra hours, let's just, seven. Yeah. So, you know, would you rather basically be awake for a little bit longer, but be cognitively drunk or actually be fully, fully awake and rested and sober during the hours that you do have? And I think when you put it that way, it's like, wow, yeah, it's so obvious that I should make sleep a priority. And if I want to get more time back and I want to manage how I'm feeling and my energy and my focus, I should actually put sleep as the foundation first and then everything else comes later on top of that. Well, I think that's a pretty practical way of looking at it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a, as I call it, good intentions misapply. The objective or mission is right. It's just not necessarily the tools or the approach to, to get there uh, is the optimal approach. Totally. Totally. So you, you mentioned the two factors. So uh, presume that's what you guys are using to make rise science, the app work. So how, how is it that you guys are showing up, um, and everything we've discussed in, and how can people benefit through this platform? Yeah. So we, we do, you know, it's, it's, uh, everything we've talked about is, uh, 
we try to make actionable and help you actually weave into your life and make it really easy to do. Um, and so you can download the Rise app in the App Store, in the Play Store. But a lot of the scientific approaches that we've talked about and some of the areas around sleep hygiene and some of the evidence behind them and the glasses and the masks we like and all sorts of other stuff that we didn't get into, um, we've made a commitment to try and publish all of this on the internet for free. Uh, and so we want to really get the truth out there. And that's available on our website. So if you go to risescience.com, you'll see a tab that says sleep guide. And in there, we've, we've really uh, done a lot to, to publish what's known. And we'll be doing a lot more with that over time. So I'd say those are two places that you can go. And obviously on the app, it's uh, $60 a year, but you can start a seven-day free trial and see if it's actually worth it. If it is, you know that uh, investment will pay off in spades and allows us to to run a business and continue investing and continue, uh, you know, improving the product and improving, getting the word out to more and more folks. Uh, so obviously that would be appreciated, but, you know, make sure that it's actually working for you, but, but that's what we do. We, we take these two factors, we help you, we make them very easy for you to apply in your life. And we then help you kind of set up the right habits all around that to make it all work. So um, that that's what we're doing right now. That's awesome. And I, I love the, the whole, practicality of what y'all are doing and um you know a book that's really been pivotal for me and it, it makes me think of it is atomic habits um where you know it's just that incremental gain that little bit oh yeah practical application each day yeah it's uh you know this is one thing that you can do that there's no amount of money that you can spend on a personal trainer. There's no amount of money you can spend on a therapist. There's no amount of money you can spend on a drug. There's no amount of money you could spend on physical material things to get the benefit of properly sleeping. And so again, I think if you're in your life and you feel like you're at a neutral point or you feel like you could be doing better or you feel like you're in more conflict than you want to be or you feel like you're struggling more than you want to be, Sleep is the place to start. You know, again, it's not the end, but it is the place to start. And I think most people underappreciate just how important that is. And actually, you know, just to make this very concrete, Matt Walker did a study a couple of years ago that showed that if you basically go a night without sleep, 50% of people will experience clinical levels of anxiety, right? So, I mean, we talk about the mental health epidemic or, yeah. uh, you know, even the, the, the metabolic health epidemic. Um, and this is tied to your sleep. Again, it's not going to, if we all of a sudden got our sleep needs and our sleep debts were in check and we were uh, planning our days and, and, and running our days in accordance with our circadian rhythms, the world would be significantly better, but that's really just getting started, you know? So, I mean, let's get there first. And then we can help solve all the other world's problems, but right. this will help get us so, so much faster uh, and so much more humanely if we're just all well slept. Yeah. Uh, it's the greatest ROI by far. And, and, yes. and the other thing too, is it's personal sovereignty yes. over, over your entire life that influences everything. It can influence your family relationship, your personal perspective, the way you even talk to yourself around mindset. Um you know, it's just such a tremendous positive snowball. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, if you don't need any other tools, it's free. You, you <laughs> can do it every night and you will right. do it every night. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd argue that given that you spend so much time on it, it's probably worthwhile investing in the right tools around you. But, um, but you know, that's my bias point of view. Uh, but, but yeah, this is something we can all do and, um, and make that trade off. And I think that's the the shift that becomes really powerful when you start to think about your sleep and you start to think about your circadian rhythms in terms of, you know, your sleep in terms of sleep debt and circadian rhythm, and you can then start to make trade-offs, right? Now you can say, you know what? I want to stay up late tonight. My sleep debt's low. I want to watch Netflix tonight. And I'm okay going from three hours of sleep debt to six hours because I know I'm going to be fine at six. And I know that my day tomorrow isn't critically important. And I'd rather stay up extra hours. Yeah. You know, or, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be with my kids tomorrow and I really want to make sure that I'm on with them on the weekend. And I want to be present. I don't want to be sort of distant. I want to really be there for what their birthday party. I want to really be there for this individual lunch I have with my daughter. Well, make it during a peak in your circadian rhythm. 
you know, don't put it during a dip. Put your admin tasks, put your work email, put your catch-up stuff, put your personal finances in your dip. Don't yeah. put your family in your dip, put it in your peak. So it just allows you to start making these trade-offs in a much more intentional way. And I think that that becomes a, a really powerful shift um, when, you, when you can make that. I love that, that example um, and just being more strategic and wiser and when, because you can still do yes. all things on the list, but, but being strategic and like you said, intentional on when you do those things. And I love, I love that. Yeah. I mean, just to give you an example, when I plan my day, I have a, you know, every day I start a new task list and on the task list, I have a little template and the template has, you know, what's my intention for the day? What's my, what am I going to get done in my morning peak? What am I going to get done in my afternoon dip? What am I going to get done in my second peak? And it forces me just to put it in that structure and think about it every day. And it's really useful to say what matters, what doesn't today. And um, to, to prioritize the things that do and, and to put the things that don't need as much of my full focus and attention in, in my dips. Um, and so it's, it's, you can start to apply it to how you live every day. And, um, you know, so long as I'm keeping my sleep debt down and I'm planning my day accordingly, I feel like I'm getting, I'm not worried about my sleep. You know, I, it's taken care of. My, right. I, my brain's taking it care of for me as long as I'm sort of doing these, these, these things in the right way. So, well, um, Jeff, I'm confident I can speak with you for another hour, but I want to be respectful. Of <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, grateful for the time and the conversation and what you are doing at rise. Um, I think it's awesome. I'm really excited to see where you guys go. Uh, I do close things out with a couple personal questions. So cool. Uh, I'll put you on the hot seat. Um, Amazing. What are you reading right now? <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to come out there right now. I am reading, I'm really into like personal finance and quantitative finance. And so I'm reading uh, the biography of a guy named, I think his last name is Simons or I think it's Simons, Jim Simons, who started Renaissance technology. And they're like a big, actually probably the most successful investment firm of all time. And uh, just super fascinating story of how he got started coming from a PhD in, in, uh, in math, one of like the top mathematicians and just uh, kind of fascinating story of how someone could go kind of a whole career in being, you know, in academia as a mathematician and then sort of remaking themselves uh, and into being the most successful investor you know, of all time in terms of returns. Um, so pretty cool, but, you know, just more fun. Yeah. Awesome. So what are you listening to right now, be it music or podcast? Yeah, podcasts. So I, I, I go on a run every morning and I try to every morning just select, I've got like a bunch of different feeds and I just try to select one that I'm interested in. And so um, this morning I was listening to one with Jason Freed, who started a company called Basecamp and one of our very first customers and just reminded me of uh, how great of a leader he is and how he tries to think. He, he does communicate and think with clarity and he's able to get back to a curiosity of life that I think is pretty unmatched for, uh, you know, someone of uh, his experience and just being, being an adult, we lose that curiosity. And so reminded me to uh, be more curious and try and get back to that ground state. Awesome. Um, okay. Last one. What is your go-to rest and recovery method? So I'll give you, uh, my nighttime routine and my morning routine. My nighttime routine is after finishing up work, uh, after, so after finishing up, uh, my microphone just changed. Um, so after finishing up work, I will, um, put on my orange glasses and I'll go throughout my day. I'll usually watch a show, watch Netflix, watch something with my wife. I'll then take a hot shower bath. Uh, and I do that to increase my body temperature and then it'll actually decrease, uh, over time and can help with the time it takes to fall asleep and staying asleep. So I do that and then I get in bed. So, um, and when I get in bed, I wear a sleep mask every night, even though I've, uh, prioritized, you know, putting blackout shades, there's still too much light coming in. So I wear a sleep mask. I, my house is near a freeway. So there's actually quite a bit of just noise at night. And so I put in earplugs to block that out and that's my night routine. And when I wake up, 
I do my best to get outside, uh, go for a run in the sun, even if it's cloudy, even if it's cold. And it's both for the benefit of the exercise that has a host of benefits, but also the circadian health element of being outside, getting the sunlight in the morning. And so it's those two things I think that are really powerful. And I've noticed when I get off of either of those routines, uh, I'm just much more likely to be up in the middle of the night, to be tossing and turning, to just not be my best self. So um highly encourage, you know, uh, applying some sort of routine to both your morning and any. I, I like to get out there and, and go for a morning run as well. It's uh good mental clarity and, and good way to start the day. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the benefit is you've, you've done the exercise and the circadian health is, is helping you that night, which is really awesome without having to think about it. So, yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you again. Uh, for participating. Uh, look forward to seeing where you're going and uh, we'll welcome a chance to have you back on. Yeah, anytime. And and hopefully as you get more questions from your listener base, happy to come back on, answer any any anything we can and um, send resources your way. We want to get the word out there on, on what the science has to say. So thanks for having me on and give me the chance to share. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Jeff. I trust you got a ton of information and encouragement out of the discussion. Uh, as Jeff mentioned in our conversation, there is a ton of research that they offer on their website at risescience.com. Also reference the material as well at my website uh, on the show notes in this episode. Uh, our website, the rest and recovery podcast.com. And again, Rise Science. I would encourage you to check out their app. I've been using it for a number of months now and has really helped me get focused on um, my overall sleep debt as well as improving my effectiveness and knowing when and where to apply myself. So thank you so much. Again, uh, please share far and wide. The more listeners we have, the better chance we can all elevate and live this one life well. So thank you for listening. Be rested, be well.